0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam. I'm so glad that you are here with us. We are getting into a new series called The Fight of Your Life. I've only ever gotten into one physical fight before, if you could even call it a fight. And believe it or not, it was at church. I think we were playing tag or something like that. And I made this kid pretty angry. So he came and ran at me out of nowhere, knocked me to the ground. And thankfully, there was an older kid there to pick him up off of me before anybody got hurt. And good thing, because he rescued that angry kid from getting beat up. Now, <laughs> he, he, he called me later and apologized. I think it's because his mom made him do that. So that's the closest that I've ever come to getting into a physical fight. But the reality is, if you are a Christian, you are engaged in a spiritual battle each and every day. And the Apostle Paul talks about this fight that goes on within us in Romans chapter 7 and verse 21. And I'm just going to read it quick. Paul says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin At work within me. Here at Bridgewater, our mission is to make more and better disciples of Jesus. And I think that to become a better disciple of Jesus means becoming more like Jesus in our thoughts and in our behavior. Well, that's a lot easier said than done. And a lot of us, we know what to do, but then there's something within us compelling us to not live out what the Bible says. And even if you've been a Christian for a long time, you probably know. How this fight works. Even the Apostle Paul, who was like the MVP missionary for God, and even gave up his life as a martyr sharing the gospel, he had this war going on within him. And here's kind of a breakdown of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I want to do what is good, but then there's evil within me right there. I delight in God's law, but then there's, there's also some sin at work in my heart now we could ask ourselves the question all right is this fight really a big deal like what's the worst case scenario if the sin in us wins well this passage says that the intention of sin is to make us all prisoners I've heard it said that sin will take you further than you want to go it'll make you stay longer than you want to stay and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And I don't know about you, but that does not sound like a good deal to me. And if we are held prisoner by the sin in our lives, then it becomes pretty hard to become a better disciple of Jesus. And so that's, this is kind of the theme verse for the series that we're going to be in for the next few weeks. And as we talk about winning the war against the sin in our lives, we can do that by one battle at a time, one victory at a time. And this morning, we'll be talking about winning the battle of our minds. In the Bible, the mind and the heart are often used interchangeably to refer to the inner man of a person, our thoughts, our desires, and our choices. Now, if you pay attention to what our culture tells us or the message of any Disney movie, you probably hear that you should follow your heart. But the Bible actually tells us a different message and the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17:9 The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I the Lord search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct. According to what their deeds deserve. So our hearts and our minds are hijacked by sin. If we follow our hearts and our minds, they'll lead us down a path that we probably don't want to go down and lead us to a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And so we have the options of follow our hearts and our minds, or look to God who knows our hearts and minds far better than we do. And when we look to God and follow his instructions for guiding our hearts and minds, I think that we will be in a much better place to win this battle in our minds. And so I say all of this just to say that our minds and our hearts are spiritual battle zones. And this is something that we're going to address this morning, specifically talking about anxious and negative thoughts. So now, if you'd like to follow along with me, you can turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll be picking up in verse 6. So we're going to be camping out in this passage for the rest of this morning. So this is what Paul says here. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. Most of you know that I have a little dog living in my house. (laughs) You're laughing already. I haven't even said anything about him. But um, he's only about one year old now. So the bad news is I have to live with him for about another ten years. The good news is that he's young enough that I can keep on training him. And we've been working on his barking lately. So I feel like I'm constantly telling him, Hey! no barking. And sometimes he'll sneeze and he'll make some other kind of noise. I'll be like, hey, none of that. And I only do that when Gabby's around because then she'll run to his defense and be like, oh, but he can't help it. If you gotta sneeze, you gotta sneeze. Now some of us, I think when we read this passage in the commandment, don't be anxious about anything. You feel like that's somebody telling you not to sneeze. Like sometimes anxiety comes up on you. And it's not because you invited it in. It's not because you wanted to be anxious. And maybe some of you, you even feel kind of guilty. Like maybe God is looking down from heaven and being like, hey, none of that. But I don't think that that's God's intention in this passage to just beat us over the head. Anxiety can be defined as uneasiness and fear about the future. And God does not want us to be living in uneasiness and fear. We might not be able to control when anxiety first hits us, but I think that we can take steps to control how long that anxiety sticks around. And so the last part of this verse here, verse 6 tells us some of the things that we can do to fight against this anxiety in our lives. It says to pray and to, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And I think that when we pray, it is an active step to remember that God is in control of our life circumstances. Oftentimes, I tend to worry because I think about all the what-if scenarios, and then I get fixated on like the worst possible outcomes. But that, that anxiety doesn't accomplish anything for me. I'm not the one who can control the future. There's a lot of things that are just outside of my control, but God is the one who is in control. And when we pray to God, he works through prayer. It just blows my mind that the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things in place hears every single one of our prayers. Now, he might not answer that prayer the way that we're asking him or in the timing that we're asking for, but we can all have confidence that his answers and his timing is best. And so prayer not only invites God to work in our situations, but it also helps us to set our mind on the fact that God's in control and that we don't have to worry about things anymore. There was a neuroscientist named Caroline Leaf, who wrote a book on the mind and reports this interesting data. She says, It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. This type of prayer seems to increase activity in brain areas associated with social interaction, compassion, and sensitivity to others. Therefore, even though toxic thoughts can cause brain damage, prayer can reverse that damage and cause the brain and the body to thrive. Now, it's almost like God knew what he was saying when he said to pray. And I think science just tells us what the Bible already says and what we know to be true. And when we pray to God with thanksgiving, I think that it can help us to shift our focus from the negative to the positive. And this is also backed up by science. There's this concept called neuroplasticity. That's a mouthful. But neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to reorganize itself by making new neural connections throughout your lifetime. So that was probably pretty complicated, but a more simpler way to put it is that if you continue to behave a certain way and to think a certain way, your brain creates like pathways where it becomes easier to act that way or to think that way. So if you are playing, if you're learning to um, play an instrument or you're practicing a sport, it might be really difficult at first, but the more you practice and the more you learn, the more it becomes natural. So it's kind of like at first a field of tough grass, but as you work on it and work on it, it becomes more of a cleared-out pathway. And the same thing is true with our thoughts. And this can be both good and bad. Because if we, we keep on thinking about negative thoughts, well, those negative thoughts can create a pathway in our minds. So then when hard things happen, it's our default response for those negative thoughts to go through our minds. But on the flip side of things, when we pray to God with thanksgiving, It reminds us that God is faithful. When we remember God's provision and his generosity and his grace in our lives, we start creating a pathway for those kinds of thoughts. And this can help us to overcome the anxiety in our lives. And the outcome of praying to God with thanksgiving is found in verse 7. It says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we want to win this battle with our minds, I don't think that we can do it in our own strength. And when we follow God's way of doing things, when we turn to him in prayer, then he will give us a peace that transcends all understanding. Like, we can't even comprehend the kind of peace that God offers. This is a peace that that I don't think unbelievers have ever even experienced. And this peace guards our hearts and minds. And then Paul gives us kind of another battle strategy for winning this battle in our minds, and that's found in verse 8. You can take a look at it with me. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now this verse tells us the kinds of thoughts that we should be thinking, and by implication it also tells us the kinds of thoughts that we should not be thinking. And so if we have a, po- a thought that pops into our minds, before we dwell on that thought, I think we should run it through a filter and ask ourselves, all right, is it true Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? And if it doesn't check out, and I don't think we should give that thought any space in our lives. Now, what if we treated our minds like security at an airport? Have you ever flown before? Like, if you have ever flown, you probably know that getting your way through security is probably one of the biggest hassles about flying. You gotta empty your pockets, take off your belt, your shoes, and then you stand in that glass cylinder with your hands above your head and step out and a no-nonsense security guard pats you down as if you have a record of smuggling weapons under your armpits. And then meanwhile, your luggage is being scanned to make sure that you don't have so much as a can opener in your bags. Now pretty recently, My youngest sister and one of her friends took a trip to Florida, and my youngest sister was telling me that her friend was kind of bummed because she lost her favorite pocket knife. Well, she lost her favorite pocket knife because security took it away from her. She somehow made it to Florida with that pocket knife and then got busted on her way back. Now, these security officers, I don't think they would be like, well, you made it past security the first time, I guess you can still have it. Or if it's your favorite knife, just keep it in your bag. That's okay. It's not even up for debate. If they flag something that is not supposed to be on that airplane, they are not letting it through. Now, what if we treated our minds like that? What if we just blocked out any kinds of thoughts that are untrue, impure, or destructive? Now, as we get to the end of this message, I want to just talk about some of the lies and the, the destructive thoughts that we oftentimes believe in. As you found your seat this morning, you probably had to pick up one of these pieces of paper and move it to the side. If you want to grab that right now, this is just a note sheet. And as I talk through four categories of lies that we sometimes believe in, I really want to encourage you to just write down some of the lies that you believe This might feel like homework. You don't have to do it. But I think it is a very helpful resource because I think the tricky thing for us is to become people who not only hear God's word but actually put it to practice in our lives. And so this is just a resource for us to really put into practice what we're talking about from the Bible this morning. So let's start off with the lies that we tell ourselves. I think it's so sad that we actually tell ourselves lies. And it's pretty, pretty self-destructive. I don't know about you and maybe some of the reasonings for why you would do something like that, but I know for me, if I tell myself lies or kind of put myself down, it's kind of a self-protection. It's very backwards, but I feel like if I do it to myself, then I w- it won't hurt as bad when other people do it to me. And so I could tell myself lies like, I'm just too quiet or too task-oriented to be a good pastor. Or just a little while ago, like six months ago, I was telling myself, like, ah, I'm probably going to be single for the rest of my life. Like, I'm not going to get married, never have a family. That's not a helpful thought. And oftentimes I have to wrestle with the lie of it's too hard, and I, I shouldn't even try because I'll probably just fail. And so I could keep going with examples in my life, but I really want to give you just a little bit of time now to write down some of the lies that maybe you tell yourself. And then we'll move on to the lies that others tell us. I think somebody could tell us a hundred positive things and one hurtful lie. And what do we tend to focus on? That one hurtful lie, I think, gets to us the most. And it's so easy to just repeat that lie through our minds over and over again. I've been super blessed to grow up in a Christian family that loved and supported me. And I just had a lot of security growing up to the point that now, if people say something mean, it doesn't get to me as much. But I know that's not the story for some of you. Maybe some of you in your upbringing have been told that you're worthless, or you're not going to amount to anything, or you shouldn't even try because you're just going to fail. And you know what those lies are that are still maybe beating you up today, and I'll I'll give you a moment now to, to write those down. And then thirdly, we'll talk about the lies that we believe about others. I think it can be really tough to give people the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes we assume people's thoughts and motivations. And even the thoughts that we think about other people, we should probably run through this filter of, is it true? Is it pure? Is it praiseworthy? And maybe we see what people do, and we just interpret that with a negative spin, like they purposely didn't invite me because they just don't care about me. Or my parents just want to make life really tough on me. Or all my boss cares about is money. And sometimes, sometimes these people just make it really easy to think these kind of negative thoughts about them. But that is not at all helpful to give that the kind of space in our minds. And then lastly, there's the lies that we believe about God. And even if you've been a Christian for a long time, you might still wrestle with some lies that you believe about God. Even for myself, like I know what's theologically correct up here, but sometimes in the practice of my life and how I feel, I almost feel like God loves me when I'm doing good and I'm serving him and my, my walk with him is an A+. Plus. But then if it gets to be anything less than that, then God just looks down on me and he doesn't love me as much. Maybe you've wrestled with the lies of God just can't accept you because you're too far gone or you've gone too far. Maybe you've bought into the idea that God just doesn't care about you because God has let you go through some really hard times. I don't know what it is that you've gone through, but you can just take a little bit of time to write down the lies that you believe about God. I think if we give... These lies and these negative thoughts, any space in our minds, it's just destructive and it's pretty unhelpful. But God does not leave us helpless to these anxious and negative thoughts. And we can help fight this anxiety and the negative thoughts when we turn to God in prayer, when we pray with thanksgiving and we remember God's faithfulness, His provision, and His control. And if you flip this piece of paper around to the backside, it has a little section here that says, I will pray about blank. And maybe you want to look back at the front, and that gives you some ideas for what you could write in this box. But you could just write down some things that you could be praying about. When you're feeling anxious, you can turn to God in prayer. Or maybe there's this lie that you still sometimes buy into, and it's hard to overcome. You can write that in there to be praying that God will help you to overcome those negative thoughts or those lies. And then once you're done with that, this last box here is for us to write down a Bible verse so that we can remember the truth of God's word to confront those lies and to get our minds thinking about whatever is noble, right, pure, And true. And maybe you have a favorite Bible verse or a verse that you already have that is your go to verse when you're thinking about negative thoughts or you're feeling weighed down by anxiety. But even if you don't have a go to verse like that, here's just a couple that I put here up on the screen. And I really want to encourage you to just write down maybe one of these Bible verse references and then look that verse up later this week and you could write it in the box right here. And it's up to you, but if you want to make the most of this, uh, one suggestion is that you could put this on your fridge or on your nightstand and just have that reminder this week of what you can be praying about and being reminded of what God says in his Bible. And the good news is we can win this war one battle at a time. And God has not left us alone. He is with us. He will not forsake us. And he has given us everything that we need for godliness and to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we talked about this morning, our hearts and our minds are deceitful and they lead us astray. And God, help us to follow you and to be reminded that, you are the one who is in control, that we don't have to be anxious about anything. I ask that you would help us to focus on your faithfulness, your goodness, and your provision in our lives. And I ask that we live lives of worship um, to you, that there would our minds would be so full of your praise, of thankfulness and gratitude, that there would be no space for negativity, impure, or destructive thoughts. And I pray for those of us who have been struggling with lies that we tell ourselves or that others tell us, and I ask that you would help us to confront those lies with truth. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.